A word of caution for bonafide listeners. This episode includes language and topics some might find offensive. If that's a concern, we recommend you skip this episode. Welcome to Bonafide, conversations in good faith about faith with Jonathan Storman. We have a breaking news story to tell you about. A plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. Today we've had a national tragedy. Christianity, it's under siege. Study after study shows Christianity is not the force it once was. But we are going to protect Christianity. Even before COVID, a growing number of Americans were moving away from organized religions. The group called Religious Nuns has steadily grown. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bonafide, Good Faith Conversations About Faith. And I am here with my friend, John. John and I have known each other since uh, 2002. Yeah, it's like 20 years, man. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Did you go skiing with us in Banff? I I didn't actually go with you. I've never been what they call a good skier. Uh, <laughs> well, that didn't stop me. <laughs> I mean, the only time I've been, um, I actually got kicked off the hill um, because what? I was going too fast. I know that sounds kind of like a badass story, but but it's true. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know that you're supposed to kind of do that thing where you sort of go back and forth, you know. And I just yeah, went, yeah. went up to the like the black diamond and it just went straight down. And 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 I guess the words of the guy were like, you know, you're an endanger to yourself and everyone else on the hill. You need to, <laughs> you need to come with me. And I was like, I'm just having fun, man. And he rips <laughs> off my tag like, you're a disgrace. And uh, and he's like, you, you need to leave. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, well, what do I do then? Like, I, 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 I got to get a ride home. And so I just sort of slowly skied down the hill for the afternoon. But yeah. So no, I never went. Uh, it was a good time, though. <laughs> so I led two spring break campaigns, one when I was a Harding student. And another when I was a college minister at the Hills to the Calgary Church of Christ, where John used to be the student minister. Yeah. Um, and was a really good student minister. I remember you, you're kind of, you have that kind of like Pied Piper personality. You have a strong like <laughs> teaching gift and just a charming guy. Okay. I was like Pied Piper. Do I need to Google what that personality is? But I'll, I'll take it. It's a compliment. Okay. Yeah, it's the guy who like uh, swindles kids or swindles the town <laughs> using their kids. So <laughs> I don't. That's I accurate. Guess it is kind of a yeah. That that was your goal the whole time. So uh, so we spent some time together. Had some good heart to hearts during our time, and just always considered you a friend. And then um, in two thousand and. I don't know, six or seven, I started noticing like your <laughs> Facebook post. There was an evolution in your Facebook post from like, yeah. you know, Colossians 3.23 to, <laughs> hey, has anybody read Richard Dawkins or whatever? <laughs> and so, I, you know, we're, this is a podcast about people who have gone yeah. through like transitions in faith. So what happened... It wasn't us, was it? It wasn't like a bunch of Harding students coming up that started chipping away at your faith, was it? Yeah, this is super awkward because because it totally, <laughs> it totally was. I was I was certain about everything, and then this Jonathan, this persuasive silver tongue guy, stood up with his with his southern accent and just messed with my no no. It wasn't you at all, man. You guys did such a good job. We we loved when you when you were there. You just infused su- such energy and. 
I, you know, what's funny. I remember um, a friend of mine at the time, Jordan Clark. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, I remember Jordan. Yeah, I remember Good Jordan. Dude. He said to me when when you first came, he was like, he was like, that Jonathan, you watch, man. He's going to become huge. And I was like, cool. And you did, that, man. You were like. Fat shaming? <laughs> fat shaming? <laughs> it's like, hey, can you, do you see how many <laughs> chips he can eat? He does a whole bag. He His drinks, metabolism's not going to keep up with that. <laughs> he drinks the Doritos. No, um, no, he was just talking about your gifts, and and uh, it, it's been cool for the last twenty years seeing you too, man. Like you, you were working at at kind of the the church in the south. Um, sorry to all the other churches, but I mean, there's a lot going on there, and it, it's been cool to see, see what you what you've done. And I've kind of gone the opposite, um, to be <laughs> to, to be honest. And yeah, so, tell me what so. You know, I we think we think highly of each other sincerely. Yeah. Off of this podcast, we've you know because of this podcast, we've kind of reconnected. We've talked off offline quite a bit, and but I mean, as far as as far as persons who are trying to follow Jesus, you know, you you did the work, you you studied, you ministered, you you were in people's lives, and then about fifteen years ago or so. Something started to change. Do you mind like walking us through what that was? Yeah, and and so just to give a little bit of ba- background on my life, um, I was born in uh, August fifth, nineteen seventy. No, just kidding. <laughs> we, we won't go quite that far back. But um, I, I was actually born in what I call the double bubble. And so what that means is I was born in the prairies of Canada, and both my parents were really involved with a with a Christian school. It was called Western Christian College at the time. And so my dad was like the teacher there. Everybody across you know Canada knew who he was. And then my mom was uh, – she did all kinds of things. She was a dorm director. She was um, worked as a secretary. They were just known as, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Close. Everybody knew them. And so I was sort of raised in that, in that you know, large Christian shadow – and, and it was great at the time, um, but then we also attended the Church of Christ, and so most of my evenings and weekends and and most of the day was was taken up with this bubble, uh, and I didn't know anything different. And when you when you're born into something, it doesn't matter what that something is, you don't really question it, you know, for yeah. for the first couple decades. I mean, you know, there's there's some outliers who begin to question in their teenage years. But but I would say most people just kind of take take their existence on face value. This is the way life works. We go to church like four or five nights a week. That's just what happens. You know, um, this is the way you behave. You you abstain from alcohol. Women aren't allowed to be involved. I mean, <laughs> wait in Canada in Canada you guys abstain from alcohol. Oh man, I I didn't okay. I didn't try a drop of alcohol until I was like in my mid twenties, man. Like you seriously, rebel. and that's what started. That's yeah, that's yeah. That's I'm just going to prove the Christian's point now. And then after that, I fell into prostitution. I fell into. I mean, it just was a. I began to think about murdering people. It just it was oh, a slippery slope. Growing dark. That's that's exactly what I was taught it would do. Exactly. Up. Yeah. And so they were yeah. right. No. Um. And so I was raised in that sort of that first twenty years as as this this very insulated sheltered bubble. Uh, you know, I, I'm hesitant to use the word cult, but, you know, looking back, it had all the earmarks of, of that kind mm. of community. Um, and, and when you're in it, you know, it's it's great. I mean, because it's a, it's a bubble of certainty. 
And, and, and as we know, the brain, the human brain, it doesn't matter if you're agnostic, atheist, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, our brains are the same in how they crave prediction and certainty. They, they mm. love that. And so religion is 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 like um cocaine for the brain i mean it's just like this is awesome this is something that that proposes a very certain thing this this is the way the world works here's a book it's all in there just read it and follow it this is the way i was raised and so <clears throat> it was great what was like the first dominoes that started falling for you yeah and it's a good question because in some ways, I want to say it didn't happen until my late 20s, until sort of the more dramatic dominoes started to fall. But when I look back, there was some, it was a slow process. It was a casual erosion uh, erosion of, of my faith. And and I think I look back and it's, I began to question some of the forms. And, and when you're raising a certain, um, you know, religion and existence, the leaders aren't necessarily... Um, open to people questioning the certainty of it all. And so I began to say things like I began to question within the box. So I, I would say things like, you know, when we do the Lord's Supper, I always notice we do the bread first and then we do the grape juice and then we take up the collection. What would happen if, if we just did the grape juice first and then the bread? And I wouldn't even ask for permission. I would just lead the service and do it backwards just because, well, who cares? You know, and, and, and anyone listening might be, just be like, that. that's that's such a silly, you know, superficial example. But for some people, they might be like, wow, you did that? That's oh, yeah, sure. You know, but I just start to mess with it in really superficial ways. Yeah. Um, I, I would, um, you know, I would... I remember I, I brought in I brought in some instruments one once once you know Sunday and, and uh, began to you know experiment with that um, you know when I was teaching the teens um, I wanted to do a, t- a talk or a series on world religions and normally what we do when we when we teach on world religions in the church is we teach on other people's religions <laughs> yeah and we tell them what okay now, and this is where they're wrong and <laughs> this yeah. is this is what they think this is why they think what they think and, and this is how they're wrong yeah. and this yeah. is a very open look at other people's religions right um and so i decided you know what what would happen if we just allowed people who actually believed those things and were in those religions to come and speak on those things themselves and so i brought in a muslim i brought in a buddhist you know, I brought in a woman from from like the lo- the local church that was different than ours. You know, it was a United Church, which is like a which is like a Methodist, a United Methodist Church in the states, and and they all spoke on how they view Christianity and God differently than us, and and so when I look back, like at those times, I wasn't losing my faith. I don't think, but but I was I was feeling the euphoria of of of, of an evolving faith. Of, of a faith that was growing and, and learning that maybe God is even bigger than this box, this sheltered, this bubble that I was, I was yeah. raised in. And, and it was euphoric, not in like a, you know, um, you know, a narcissistic. Transgressive? Yeah. Not in like a, a, a superficial way. Like, wow, I, I'm, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm pushing the boundaries. You felt like you were growing. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah, I did. I, I felt like I was evolving and growing. Um, and and it was all fairly innocent. We like don't, I was, we don't I, believe in evolving. Yeah, no. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm just as, as I learned, yeah, we don't believe in evolution at all. Um, as as I learned, um, you know, I, I thought it was uh, it was going to just be a pretty linear process. Like I was just going to continue to evolve, evolve with no consequences. <laughs> but but mm-hmm. but as it turns out, I hit a point where um, my soul was like, okay, 
you know, we need to make a decision here on, on where we're headed because, because right now your career is based on um, this box and certainty and that's your job, man. And, you know, it's all well and good for you to like ask all these questions and read all these, you know, banished books. But like, what are you going to do at the end of the day? What do you believe? And that's when the suffering began. <laughs> for sure. Mm. Yeah. Because, because you realize like you don't believe it anymore. Yeah. I, I think ultimately, and it wasn't, it wasn't that black and white. Like it wasn't like I sat down one night and was like, dang, I don't think I believe this anymore. Shit, that's going to really affect my uh, my job prospects. You know, mm-hmm. I think um, what it was 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 it kind of happened one night. Really, it all came together one night, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and and I felt I felt a way I'd never felt before. Um, I felt like um, I'm trying to go back to that moment. I felt like I was just pinned to the bed, almost like there was an elephant on my chest, and I couldn't catch my breath, and it was just this dark dreadful feeling and and i was beginning to 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 panic you know i was beginning to like what is going on i I must be having a heart attack and i remember it took like all my will just to kind of sort of force myself up off the bed just to kind of move a little bit and then i sort of fell back down on the bed and begin to cry um just just out of emotion out of fear out of out of overwhelm of this overwhelming feeling i didn't understand and angie woke up and asked me what was going on and i i said um I don't know. And I really didn't at that point know what was going on. I mean, everyone listening right now is like, dude, you're having a heart attack. I mean, no, they're probably saying, um, dude, you're having a panic attack. Uh, you know, I thought yeah. I was having a heart attack, but you know, I'm like, you know, early thirties. Do you think it was a panic attack? Well, see the, here's the thing about a panic attack, right? Is like, this was 20 years ago, man. And, and, and like, I don't know about everyone else, but but I don't remember really hearing the phrase panic attack and anxiety attack and anxiety. Right that much like decades ago uh especially in the bubble you've always been ahead of the curve yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) um i I just i'd never really heard about i don't even know if the church talked too much about mental health back then and and so um you know i was i was confused so i i didn't know what was happening and and for anyone who suffered from anxiety and panic which you know is everybody in the last two years Um, you know, you know, that if if you don't know what's going on, then, um, it's, it's, it adds to your panic and dread. And so I later found out that that's what it was and then was able to kind of do the work to, to learn to live with it. Um, but, but yeah, it was horrible. And I, and I look back on that, like, what was that? Like I had a friend who was like, maybe it's demons. Maybe the demons are coming after you for your doubt in, in the Lord. And I was like, D- that, that didn't help at all. Wait, hold on. As punishment? Yes. As punishment for yes. your doubt in the Lord? Yes. Huh. That, that's what I would, that's yeah, what that's... they said. Right. So you, you can imagine that's... how, yeah, that would make a fella feel. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, really? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll try not to doubt. Hey, good luck with that. Oh, um, no kidding. I, I feel like one of the things that's come out of this podcast for me because, I mean, a lot of my peers, and it's it's almost all white men. It's not all white men, but it's almost white all white men who have, like, lost their faith. And there's actually historical and philosophical reasons for that. But... Um, part of, part of it, I have realized this podcast has given me a lot more kind of sympathy 
because almost to a person, they weren't looking to like deconstruct. It was like something that happened to them and they got taken along for the ride. And we, we've talked offline about working at a church while this is all happening. And I can imagine, you know, the pressure because you're supporting your family through like teaching these things that you're actively involved in questioning and coming up with alternative answers. What does that feel like as you're, you know, is the panic attack because you're like, I got to find something else to do. What am, how am I going to provide? And is that what it is? Or is it, it was core to your identity and now your identity feels questioned. Well, you know, uh, looking back, I think the panic attack was like my soul or my higher consciousness, or maybe, you know, the God stuff that was in me, however you want to say it, was ahead of the curve. It knew where I was going. And it was like, okay, if you continue, you know, living a fractured life, um, you're going to split. And you're going to, you're going to permanently split. And so you need to, you know, take some time and, and, and begin to be honest with yourself, and then ultimately honest with everybody else. Because I think what I did in that moment is I, is I began to think, okay, okay, you know, it's just, you know, I, I can make this work. Because this was 2005 when that first panic attack happened. And I stayed for three more years, man. So three years, and it, and it got worse over those three years. Three years of just really wondering, like, is there even a God? Like, it wasn't even that I was rejecting, like, the... The, the pillars of Christianity, like, like Jesus divinity and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I was like, I was, I was wondering if any of it was real. Like I was wondering if, right. if like we're even alone in this universe. I mean, I was asking some of the big questions that I would argue we are meant to ask as human beings, but because I was raised in that, that bubble and sheltered existence, I, I wasn't given the chance to ask. And so instead, I was forced to go through this normal period of questioning and doubt as a 30-year-old pastor. And so no one man having a panic attack. Yeah. Right? What? So I, I have so many questions, and I'm so grateful for you sharing this. I have, you know, ever since I was 22, I've worked at local churches. And I've also gone to grad school and learned all kinds of new things that made me question old things and, you know, been found myself in seasons of almost despair because of doubt. So I, I don't think I've gone through as extensive as you've gone through, but I, I know what it feels like to have to stand up and preach and try to do it with confidence and also humility because you're like, man, I could be wrong on this. But I want to know what it felt like for you working at that church for three years. Did you just know, like, all right, this is a job, and I'm saying something that I think is probably not true, but i got to do it because i got to pay the bills? Well, I mean, what I ended up doing, Jonathan, was I ended up finding things I could say that let me sleep at night in terms of, like, I'm not going against my own convictions, but also wouldn't get me fired. Yeah. Yeah. So I became very good at finding that like sweet, like, you know, the the, Venn diagram. That's a very. (laughs) And so I, I, I really like, you know, I probably was outside the box at one point, but I think because 
you know, I truly loved the community. I loved the teens. I loved the, yeah. you know, I loved the elders. I loved the ministers. I loved the church. I, I really did. In the spite yeah. of my doubts, you know, at that point, I hadn't, I had, I, I didn't, hadn't become like a crazy, ranting, angry guy like I later became on Facebook. Um, you know, I truly, that was a short season for you, though, right? Yeah, I, mean, I remember seeing a few of those posts and being like, "John's okay. an asshole." Yeah, well, I, <laughs> you know, I, I do think I, I get because I'm a preacher, and I think people make some assumptions that you know, like I've never thought through this stuff, or um, I'm just naive to you know, like some questions, or and maybe I am, but when people come out, when people deconvert. If I'm friends with them and I reach out to them, I often get, you know, less than hospitable responses. <laughs> right. You know, like you're the you're the, I'm the face of the problem. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm what's because because they have like these, you know, experiences, right? Like Yeah. Um I'm I I'm part of the, you know, the it, my voice sounds a lot like the person who said the devil is attacking you because you're doubting and um I understand it because it feels like it's all a lie and I'm I'm one of the liars and so you're you know fighting for truth or whatever but yeah, yeah I mean, anyway, I'm sorry I went on a little tangent there No no uh, th- thanks thanks for thanks for sharing that and and I think I think you know, I did do some of that because when I did finally leave, I think there was a part of me that was like, instead of dealing with the disappointment and heartache of leaving this community, I'm just going to lash out and be angry at at the, mm. you know, at, at the parts of the community and the faith that, that had let me down. Because, you know, ultimately, you know, what what is like anger is often not a primary emotion. I mean, psychologists do tell us this. It's often, it's often yeah. a, big, a bigger emotion covering up a more primary emotion, which is often fear or sadness. And so I think, yeah. I think I had both of those in, um, you know, full, you know, full bag of fear and sadness. I mean, imagine I wasn't trained for anything else, man. Like I, I went to ministry school, which is a very select training, you know, my, my expertise <laughs> on the, on the, you know, you know, ma- minor profits isn't going to come in handy as a management position at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> Or you'd be a really jerk of a, a home manager. <laughs> you fat cows of Bashan. <laughs> Just look it up if you don't understand. That's, yeah, that, that's a very Bible major joke, but yeah, I'm yeah. glad you get that. It, exactly, right? Um, and, and so they, you know, and so I think I was starting to realize um, what the, you know, what the um, consequences of my decision were going to be. Um, is is I wasn't going to have a job. I wasn't going to have a career, and I think I knew I was going to lose most of my community, which which did happen. Um, you know, so. one of the things when I hear because I've I've had um, three or four conversations with people who worked on staff at church, um, but you're one of the only ones who worked for a, a season while you were, you know, just not believing and one of the things that I I mentioned to you is I know preachers who have worked at churches and continue to preach while they were just in a dark season of not 
believing it. And and it was their elders knew it. Some of their trusted friends in the church knew it. Um, and the church didn't punish them for that. I mean, it's part of being human, it seems like. And the church that you worked at, I love, and I know you love. Like, it's a good church. The people there are good. They're human. I mean, they're going to make mistakes. But for anybody in church leadership, because today, in a secular age, faith is harder than it was 100 years ago. And what do we do with, how do we be hospitable to people who are doubting, even people on staff who are doubting? I mean, if you could have gone to um, Jack Ashby's office or somebody like that, um, and said, man, I'm not sure if I believe it. I, I, I don't want you to get into how Jack would have responded or anything. He's a good guy that you worked with. Yeah, he is. Um, would that would that have helped? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say no, because I actually did try and talk to um, a few of the staff, and it did not go well. <laughs> so I, oh. I will say that. And so, so I think, I think, you know, the short answer, Jonathan, to your question is, is how can churches help the doubting? I think, first of all, um, I think churches need to get their heads out of the sand and realize that mm. almost everybody's doubting. Heck, ministers are doubting. I mean, you, you know, one of the most yeah, lonely right. jobs in the world is, is what I did and what you are doing. I mean, we know this. Preachers are very yeah. lonely in the sense that, yes, they have a lot of followers, you know, but at the same time, I think it's very difficult to really truly be vulnerable with people when you're, when you're a preacher. And so when you do go through seasons of doubt, you're probably going through those doubts on your own or perhaps with a, with a select group of people or, or your partner. Um, and so, I just think I knew that I had I had pa- I had crossed the Rubicon to use a nice uh, mm-hmm. you know historical metaphor, um, and and I knew I knew what this I knew what it was going to mean right I knew that okay I can't come back from this like it, you know I, I I've used the analogy before of the Truman Show just because I love. Like, I just love that movie, and it just—it was so ahead of its time. Yeah. It was like twenty, twenty-five years ago, and they're exploring themes that we are just now really dealing with, um, and just the whole idea of like once Jim Carrey's character finds out that it's all bullshit, like it's all fake, like it was all—it was all for mm-hmm. him, but it was all actually all fake too. Um, he tries to leave, yeah. right? And. And when he tries to leave, you see his struggle. You see he suffers, right? Like he actually had a friend. He had a really good friend who turned out to not be so good. He had a wife who he thought was great, but but she was she was fake and selling ads <laughs> while trying to talk to him. Like it was brutal. And yeah. and and when, when we see how that movie ends, if it's a spoiler alert, come on, folks, you should have watched it by now. But anyways, <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> when he's in the boat and, and, and the storms are raging. I mean, I I. I I, I, I remember watching that at, while I was going through the season of the doubt and wondering why I was so emotional. And later I realized I'm in that boat right now. I'm literally in that boat. I have no idea where I am. I don't even know how to drive this boat. I don't even know where it's going. And, and, and I felt his pain in that moment. And, and then ultimately how it ends with him having the courage to leave, leave that, leave that world, everything he knew and, and walk through this door to whatever. As an audience, we don't even know where that door went. Um, and, and I think a lot of people um, who doubt feel like him in that boat. They feel the rain. They feel the. Mm-hmm. They feel that nausea. They feel that being like that sense of no direction, no control. Especially, there's nothing certain in that moment. 
Um, I, I think a lot of them are just going to be like, you know, let's just let the storm pass. I'm just going to float back to the world of what I know, and I'll just get back to my job and live with my wife, even though I know deep down I don't really see it as real anymore. That's what I think what most people would do for whatever reason, call it stubbornness or stupidity. I, I found a way to like walk through the door, shut it behind me and, and keep going. And that's when the suffering began is when I, when I, mo- when I knew that I wasn't going to go back because I felt like I was dropped on a new planet at that point. Now it's like, okay, I, I was raised in this certain bubble. Um, and now, now it's a whole new world. And, and that's where the suffering began is knowing that I was going to have to do that. You and I, I like that metaphor a lot because I do think people who are doubting in churches, it, I think it probably feels like that from the inside, just the existential part. It feels like that, like, you know, there, there are these, you know, you, somebody's trying to stop you from leaving or questioning or whatever. Um, and I think, I think one way to do that is to shove down doubt and just, you know, I think that's a Homer Simpson like line, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, shove it down, shove it down <laughs> and then butter your bacon. I think that's what he said. Um, but <laughs> so that, I think that's one way to handle it. And then the other would be, I, I think. Jesus would say, if you can find a better way to live than him, then take it. Because the way of Jesus is not like an intellectual thing like we've made it. Um, It's like, you know, practical way of like organizing your whole life. There are ideas and stuff that are part of that. But, and then here, and this is the thing that I'm trying to do with uh, my friends and hopefully accomplish with this podcast, because my my theory is, I think the Truman Show is a great metaphor, but I think whenever you walked out of that, you walked into another Truman Show, in the sense of like, we can't escape, you know, I, I, we like this idea of the Matrix or the Truman Show, like you take the red pill and then all of a sudden you're, you are direct contact with ultimate reality. Um, and I don't think that's fair to, like, truth. So this is based on A Secular Age by Charles Taylor, who I feel like I should just say this the show is sponsored by, because it's an 800-page philosophy book, but it's really helpful. And he, he basically, it's a, it's a Canadian philosopher, so from your neck of the woods, uh, forward by Tony Horton, you know, just kidding. Forward by Tony Horton, <laughs> but he says that <laughs> he says that basically secularism, which is he's a fan of, he's not against it, but he says it's five hundred years of Protestant Reformation history, where um, these ideas that are not provable have been accepted as kind of universal, and one of them is like the strength of the human mind. We're much less modest than we used to be about the powers of the intellect, um, that science, which has its roots in Christianity, it's a really good thing, is being repa- replaced by many by something like scientism, that science can like give answers that it's not in its purview. Um, and so, you know, like the scientific method is the only acceptable mode of truth 
which isn't possible. And it's also kind of silly because I think, you know, like you can't put human rights under a microscope and you can't put the love you have for your partner under a microscope or the value of human beings under a microscope. But all that to say, like, one of the things I want to do with this podcast, because you talked about crossing the Rubicon, I feel like a lot of people feel like that. Um, Once you go, you can't come back. And that puts them in the same position, maybe, and, and speak to this, John, if I'm wrong, but I feel like if you, like, publicly say, okay, I've deconverted, and then you have doubts about your doubts, then you're in the same position because your communities, you know, change. Maybe you're in a, um, um, I, don't, I don't know what your community, poker night for atheists or something. <laughs> yeah, but, that, that's where everybody, that's a logical <laughs> lateral move after people leave the church. <laughs> I just Googled that immediately after. I was like, I like poker and I like people who believe in nothing. So, yeah. Oh, wow. A million hits. That's great. (laughs) Did we just invent this? I think we did. In fact, fact, there's people listening who are Googling that right now. They're like, is is there one available in my city? That's awesome. (laughs) I'm going to go with like a fake mustache and then just. (laughs) Does that make sense? Because what I'm. Uh, the reason I've, I've chosen the people I've chosen is because I have friendships with them and because they're somewhat humble about what they think. I'm super and, humble, man. I'm always telling I, people that. You are. You are. You are yeah. You are I, proud to say you're humble. I might be the but most you, humble. I mean, modest. You're, yeah, I'm <laughs> modestly humble. I'm probably the most humble out of me and you, but uh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, We don't need to. It's not a not a contest. What I'm wondering is, like, certainty is past the human capability. I'm fairly confident in some ideas, like um, Jesus being raised from the dead. I am not certain on that. But I'm, I, I think I can say, I mean, that's the kind of the bedrock of my faith. And I think I can say I'm confident that Jesus was probably raised from the grave. Um, you know, Jesus... The tomb was empty, I think, by historical methods. You know, you've got some other kind of like explanations for that. But like I, I go back to because Jesus was raised from the dead, I believe I believe the stuff Jesus said because I believe Jesus that what Jesus said. I accept the New Testament, um, not as like the primary like source of revelation because Jesus is the primary source of revelation, and just kind of like you know, slowly accept those things. I mean, that's how I, I got to the point where I was like, okay, I can, I can put my um, confidence in this. But well, I, I want to use that example I just for a second. Like, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole and, and you know, take the crazy pill and, and start talking apologetics for two hours because, you know, nobody wants to listen to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I do want to say, I, I remember when I was sort of, <laughs> I'll use the word transitioning, um, out of out of my faith, I, rem- I remember being okay with the fact, both intellectually and in my heart, that if I found out tomorrow that like Jesus was just was a historical person, did a lot of great things, but you know it, it, the divinity thing wasn't true. That was just more of a metaphor, or that was just more of a you know a, a, an ancient myth to try and spur people on to good action. Blah blah blah. And and it turned out he wasn't actually raised from the dead. Um, literally, it was just you know all that kind of stuff. 
you know, would I still be okay with, with, you know, the way my life has been? And I, and I said, yeah, like, I'm like, why would I, why would I all of a sudden find out that Jesus, you know, his, he wasn't divine. And I'd be like, okay, so obviously that means I don't have to be loving anymore. Obviously I, kindness is now an option. Like, I think that's kind of the way perhaps we've taught it, like an all or nothing house of cards kind of thing. You take that one out, the whole thing falls over. It's all pointless now. Why not go ahead and just like rape and kill kill everybody? You know, like I, sure. I, it's, it's yeah, an extreme yeah. react, extreme example. But but and drink beer. Don't forget that. And drink beer and play poker with all the other atheists. Like, why not? If Jesus, <laughs> like, if if he wasn't raised from the dead, then everything is bullshit. I mean, we might as well just do whatever we want. It's just, well, let's just descend into madness. And I think, yeah. I think we can laugh about that, but, but I think there's a lot of churches and a lot of people who unknowingly are kind of pushing that reality on people, um, that mm. it is an all or nothing thing. And, and, and when I was leaving, I think it was even like that for my dad is he could just, he could never quite get over the fact that I couldn't say to him, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is a son of God and he died for my sins, for the salvation of my sins, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I couldn't say that anymore, but I said to him, but dad, I don't have anything against the guy. Like I'm not, I'm not like going and, and trying to, you know, tell everybody that he was a liar. Like, I don't think he was a false prophet or anything. I just don't believe that part of the story, story literally anymore. And, and I think that's what it was, is my faith went from like a literal certain belief in how the world works to, to seeing things a little more in terms of like story and metaphor and, and, um, just not not such a black and white view of the world, and and so like even now, and I might be jumping ahead here, but even now, fifteen years later, like I, I still remember, and I would say, assimilate some of the things from from my Christian faith that are still part of my life, but I don't view the world in that same way anymore. Like that worldview is gone. Yeah, I think people can be moral. I think everybody's moral um, to their own kind of morality, but I think people can be very moral without a faith in a higher power. Um, the question is, in what ways does that morality change? And, um, for example, and, and I'm, I think post-Christian Western people are going to have to figure out what that's going to look like. Right now, we're recording, it's March Madness, and everybody in America is rooting for underdogs all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I can draw a historical line from that to Jesus of Nazareth, and it undermines <laughs> wow. our. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, it under it undermines um, kind of the best teams, right? Like the very best teams we kind of want beat, and that that doesn't help teams like aspire to being better and better you know it's it's kind of a weird thing hmm. christian morality is it could potentially not be good for the world and i think churches should start there like we do this because this is who jesus is but this is not you know you don't vote this stuff in everybody everybody's going to be moral as they see morality and one of the things i appreciate about secular humanists right now is that we share pretty much all the same morality. Sometimes they're much better people than the people that are in church. Um, and I think they've been shaped by, you know, the same way that you grew up in a bubble, 
we all grew up in a bubble in the West, you know, yeah. under the kind of shadow of Christ- Catholics and, and Orthodox. And, you know, you can't drive, even if you are driving around Canada, you might not see as many churches, but you're still going to see hospitals and orphanages and, you know, mission points of the Christian tradition that make us think like certain things are a good life. And I don't know that that will remain, but I also don't know, you know, if Jesus isn't who he said he is, then I think we'll find another way to organize society. So I, I, I tried not to bring up Nietzsche because you told me don't bring up Nietzsche like about a month ago. Son of a, but he, yeah, no, bring up Nietzsche. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just, he wrote a book called beyond good and evil. Yeah. And basically the point is there is no good and evil. Like you, it's, it's being strong and courageous and, you know, the, the stronger virtues, like, um, those kind of things. And, his big thing is he he liked to go around telling people to stop being Christian. He hated Christianity. He t- he liked to tell people to stop being Christian because it made the world worse, not better. And I think he's got a point. Like he he says basically what we're making is a society of victims. We're making people society weaker. We're he wants us to breed up, you know, to you know he wants the number one seed to win, not the number sixteen seed. And I, I, I think people have to wrestle with Nietzsche because they will one way or another. You don't have to read the German philosopher from the 18th century, but his ideas are get, gaining ground. And like you and I, we have a lot in common um, because I think we lived in that bubble together. Yeah. But, and that concludes my TED Talk. Thank you. Yeah, it, that was about 18 minutes too. So good job. Well, uh, does that does that like does that sound like hogwash to you, Nietzsche? Um, well, just what I said about like breeding up and not, you know, don't create a society of victims. I don't um, know. So, so is what you're trying to say is like uh, people aren't connecting to the to the Christian religion anymore because it's not an underdog, because it's like sort of on top and. And people generally kind of root for the underdog. Is that what you're saying? What I was saying is Nietzsche uh, is saying, like, stop taking care of the weak and vulnerable because it's at the expense of the strong. Mm. And, um, you know, like, so the ancient morality of the Greeks and the Romans and kind of the common sense, the best thing you could have was be have street smarts. Um, and they, they had morals that were stuff like this. Um, an old man's head is like a raisin. <laughs> That's like a, a, a <laughs> <Yeah>. slogan. <laughs> no, no offense to all um, our old man so, listeners. Okay. I'm, I'm sure your raisins, head you isn't like a raisin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was just a different morality. Yeah. And I think Nietzsche's great insight was, Christian ethics don't work without Christian metaphysics, which is if God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, then it doesn't work. And um, I think he's on to something. I guess here's a question that that I had back when I was, you know, evolving out of my faith. And and I still have the same question. Um, Is it possible that 
our species has to connect to just one story. There's a great book out there called Sapiens. One of, one of my favorite books I've read the last, you know, by Yuval. Yeah, Yuval Yuval Harari. Yeah, he's an excellent author. And and he he basically takes like the history of of our species, which is Homo sapiens, and and just like puts it all in a couple hundred pages. It's so, so good. I highly recommend it. And one of the things he talks about, and he's an atheist, one of the things he talks about is one of the reasons why we, we were successful as a species is because we're able to cooperate together. And he connects our ability to cooperate together around a shared belief. And he says, that's yeah. why religion is actually, he says, he says, I'm not a Christian, but he's like, Christianity actually did more for like, you know, you know, the evolution of our species than, than a lot of things, just because of the psychology of how, um, you know, one shared idea connects people mm-hmm. who, who live in the United States with somebody who lives in Africa, with someone who lives in, you know, South America, with someone who lives in Antarctica. Does anyone live in Antarctica? I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> they don't have internet. Who are all over the- yeah, they don't. So, um, so, so it's, yeah, the, their uh, internet keeps freezing. But, but anyways, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, all these people all across the globe are connected by this one idea. And so that's a very powerful thing. So the question is, is, um, you know, does, does religion have a use um, evolutionary like mm-hmm. with our with our evolution of our species? And and I it's one of those things where, where people might be listening, be like, yeah, see, so Christianity was a good thing. We should keep going with that. But but I just think that's the way we're wired is is it's easier to, to cooperate and be organized around one idea, which is why religion is so powerful, which is why strong ideas are so powerful, which is why social media is powerful, which is why, you know, somebody posts an idea on, on social media that's like um, controversial or sexist or racist or woke or not woke enough. People just lose their shit and millions and millions of people all across the world like battle and, and stuff because ideas are powerful. It's because it's what helped us get together. And so mm-hmm. I guess my point is we just need to be aware of the history of where we came from. And that's one of the reasons why religion is so enticing and why ideas are so enticing. So religion comes from the Latin word to religament, like to bind together. And there is like a... So I think everybody's religious. I think everybody's got like a, a way of making sense of the world, and human beings are, are meaning-making creatures. So mm-hmm. I, I think everybody's religious. I don't think there's a way to check off the box that you're not truly religious, honestly. Like um, sometimes the artifacts of our religion are like pop culture or music or, you know, there's some place that you find that's something bigger than yourself to invest in. And, you know, it can be yeah. your, you know football team or whatever, but I would agree. I've read you all, I've read uh, Sapiens, and one of the things that I think is a stark difference between kind of the way I look at the world and the way he looks at the world, and I'd be interested to hear what you take on it, is his take on human beings um, strike me as kind of naive. I, I mean, I, I don't question um, his, his, like, story. I guess, John, my question is, do you believe human beings, when it's all said and done, at the core of them are basically good, or is there something that's broken in us? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big question. Um, 
And I'm I, like, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I'm just trying to inquire here. Yeah, I, I, like my my sense, but but I realize I'm I'm a little biased too. But but my sense is I would argue that you know our perhaps baseline, um, you know, um, condition, I guess, for lack of a better term, is is it's probably good. You know, there there's mm-hmm. something that you know we're still horrified, you know, like millions of years into our evolution, we're still, we're still um, horrified by evil, you know, and, and, and we still all kind of agree on evil mostly, you know, like, mm. you know, mo- most people agree that there, there, there's an evil going on right now in the Ukraine. You know, I, I would say, mm. I would say maybe what's happening right now is, is a really good example of how, you know, there's billions of people on the planet right now that all kind of agree, even though that we all have all different ideas and religions and personalities and blah, 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 that we agree that something sort of evil is happening to the yeah. Ukrainian people. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting. Right. And so that that to me is maybe a little bit of evidence of why I might see us as as good. Now, you know, you know there may be some Russian people who say, well, of, you know, of, of course you see this as evil. This is, uh, you know, you're, you're on the other side or whatever you should, yeah, blah, right. blah, blah. But, but, you know, um, but, but, but I think why do we see that as evil is because it seems like there, there's a, there's a violence, there's an atrocity, there's, there's a, you know, there's an un, un, injustice happening to, to, um, to, to perhaps innocent people. And, and we see yeah. that as evil. And where does that, you know, where does that come from? You know, that's that's part of our humanity. It's probably part of our our social, the social evolution of our humanity. Um, I, I know, you know, Christians want to tag God in that and tag Jesus. Well, Jesus taught us that, perhaps. But you know, whether it you know origi- originated with them or not is a whole nother discussion. Um, but, but but I do think you know ultimately, yeah, I, I think I would see people as good. But we definitely are addicted. To like the allures of evil, mm, yeah. <laughs> like the, there's like you know we can all smell it, and and, and it's um you know it, it's a slippery slope into it. You know we we call them vices, we call them addictions. We we those are little you know sort of flirtations with a side that could that could take us down pretty quickly. I think. You know that's an interesting take on that question because I I've, I've never thought of like evidence of good being that we all have some kind of like instinctual agreement on evil. Um, that's like a jujitsu ninja move, man. Um, <laughs> well, it's just it's something I've just been thinking about really, especially in the last month. Is just seeing like you know we're in a time where I'm like I think we're so sick of all the arguing on on freaking social media and in yeah. the news and in the world like it's 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 almost like you know all my kids are grown but it's almost like reminds me of like my kids when they're teenagers I just want to open up the bedroom door and just be like shut up oh my <laughs> gosh stop arguing just like why are you arguing so much and that's how it sort of feels on social media right now um everyone's just you know, offended and arguing about everything. And yeah. it's like all of a sudden we're in this almost, I'm going to just use this phrase and make a smile on your face, this holy moment of um, um, where the whole world is kind of like, yeah, yeah, we, we agree that, that that's wrong. That's wrong. That shouldn't, yeah. be, that shouldn't be happening. And you know what? Spoiler alert, a lot of Russians agree with this too. That's true. You know, a, a lot of Russians agree with this, um, that, that what's happening is not right. And, and, you know, of course, there's lots we don't know, but 
it's not right what's happening right now. And, right. and that binds us together and that connects the world. And I mean, you, you don't hear a lot of people talking about the stuff we usually argue about, you know, cause we're all distracted or focused on something we see as a, a human atrocity. It, it, it affects all of us. Now, yeah. the sad thing of course, is like, there's those human atrocities happening all over the world right now that we often don't even talk about because why, you know, yeah. is it the media? I mean, we're kind of, you know, we're going to get away on <laughs> this topic's going to get away on us here, but but it's just no, interesting I appreciate how that. I, I think that is a interesting take on human beings. Uh, one, I mean, one of the reasons that Christianity strikes me as like true is because of its description of the human condition. And that, that's a different description that I'm going to have to wrestle with. Like I, I'm going to, I'm going to think about that. So, what would you identify as now? Like, if people are like, hey, I'm a Muslim, what are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a balding middle-aged man. Um, also, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, he sure is, folks. He sure is. Um, <laughs> no, I, I would say I would say agnostic. Um, and, and, okay. and just to define agnostic for people wondering what that means again, um, for me, th- that just means I'm open. I'm open to new experience. I'm open to new mm-hmm. um, new things coming out from science, from psychology, from my own experience in the world. Um, I'm mm-hmm. open to assimilating and continuing to grow. And I sort of see sometimes like, well, definitely the way Christianity, the Christianity I was raised in is it's kind of like, well, here's what, here's the, here's what we know about human experience. Here's your human experience. Now just experience <laughs> in all that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it, it's like, it's yeah. already all set for you. So now just live in that experience. And it's like, no, I kind of still want to like grow and evolve and be challenged and, and, yeah. and experience challenge and heartache. And I, I think that's all part of our experience. And so agnostic meaning like I'm continuing to, to take in evidence. And so there's some things that I'm probably certain about, but there's, Love it. but they're very few, they're few and far between. Like there might be a few things <laughs> um, instead so of everything. If that was, if that was the majority of people's definition of agnosticism, I would say I'm agnostic. Um, I, so Charles Taylor, one of the things he says in his 800 page tome is that what we have in the secular world is buffered selves We've created selves that are like closed off to transcendence, um, you know. So, like the spiritual mm-hmm. realities, in, including angels and demons and God, and uh, you know, like mystical encounters uh, that people are having less and less of. He says that's because we have a new, we have invented a new way of being in the world. And what I like about your description of agnosticism is, I often hear people describe themselves as agnostic. But underneath it, there's like a, but I really know, you know, like agnosticism, but if I, if I come and, and like, you know, I think science is really good. The more facts, the merrier, but the science is not the only way that we experience life. And I liked your kind of scope of evidences that you are open to, because I think, well, I honestly think if God is real, then if you are radically open, then God will do what God does. 
Um, well, and Jonathan, I know, I know, to, you know, we both share a love of, of a verse in, in the Bible that says, you know, in God, we live and move and have our being, you know, and I, I think, I think that verse really sums up what I was trying to describe there. Um, that, that huh. you know, if there, if there is a God, right, you know, presumably maybe, maybe that is, you know, what other people talk about, you know, they're debating consciousness. Is that part of the brain? Is it outside of the brain? You know, does that continue after we die? Like there's all these interesting discussions going on right now in, in the science, you know, in, in, the, in, in podcasts across the world. It's very interesting. And, and, you know, perhaps, you know, we're, we've used the word God for that same reality. And so mm-hmm. um, I, I just think that we can experience like, you know, transcendence and sacred moments at any time. Like yeah. anywhere. Like I, I, I think, I think in fact, often we experience, I would say even more often we would experience them when it's not like a set organized time to experience it where it's like, right. Hey, we're going to experience transcendence at Sunday at 10 o'clock. We hope we see you there. Or, hey, we're going to experience <laughs> yeah. transcendence, you know, Wednesday night, you know, is that the way life works? Like when you think back on your own experiences, the times in your life were, which were like moments where everything changed, they were often not planned. You definitely didn't put them in your day timer. You know, they probably happened to you at the time. You probably experienced them as terrifying and perhaps even as mm. heartbreaking. But then looking back, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's when everything changed. And, and so yeah. I think that's that's a part of my new, quote, religion, to, for lack of a better phrase, my, my new um, philosophy of life, my new worldview is just the fact that I was raised to believe that uh, everything good in life was 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 came from certainty and came from like a controlled boxed in life. And, and mm. I believe that in fact, the, the, my greatest blessings are on the other end of things like fear and other things of struggle and discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, and I was taught that, you know, life happens in a comfort zone. I mean, that's a box. And I think sometimes Christianity to their detriment has taught people that same thing. Just keep people comfortable, mm. keep people happy, keep them not scared. And it's like all those things are good for us, though, as human beings. It's good when we're scared because it helps us act. Mm-hmm. It helps us, like, push beyond ourselves. It's good when we're challenged. It's good when we, like, lose relationships sometimes because it's like it was a bad relationship. And also I was living beneath myself. I was living a false self, so I shouldn't have been in that relationship. It's good when we get fired from jobs because, you know what, I didn't believe in that job anymore. And it was killing myself yeah. staying in that job. Like, like, I, I mean, I did a whole podcast on, on obstacles and how they're actually like opportunities. And and uh, we talked to like, you know, 85 people all about how like the worst thing that ever happened to them was actually the best thing that ever happened to them. Wow. And I would say that's that's one of my new sort of main things I'm certain of is like the shit that happens to us will probably turn out to be one of the greatest sources of learning, teaching, and perhaps inspiration. And sometimes in the Christian faith or maybe oftentimes – We've we've insulated people from experiencing those things, and so they never know what's what's you know the the potential they have for their own humanity, and and even mm. churches don't know their own potential for impact in the world because they're so like trying to you know stay safe, and and like you know when you read about Jesus, do you look at Jesus and say there's a guy that played it safe, right? <laughs> like that's kind of what I was thinking, you know, John. Right? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just, I just think it's, it's, you know, I'll, I'll get ranting here, but I just think it's preposterous. I think it's like a, I just think it's horrific how, how the church has evolved into 
into a place that is known for being safe and controlling. And, and Jesus was right. neither of those things. That's um, right. And yeah. that I, I, I'm just picturing while you're talking, Jesus dragging his cross up to, you know, Calgary, looking at us being like, um, are there enough programs at the church for your family? <laughs> right. Because yeah. it's not, yeah. I think, I think what you're describing, John is the gap between the reality of the life of Jesus and the reality of church life. And oh, for sure. I think yeah. if there's anything that I'm hearing out of this conversation is close that gap. Like, um, I, I used to have parents, I was a college minister for a while and I used to have parents call me two different kinds of parents. One were asking me, Hey, my kid's not connected. Can you please do anything to help my kids get connected? And the second kind were the parents who were like, my kid's going to Sudan for a summer mission internship. Can you please talk them out of that? And it was like, hmm. I wish you guys could talk to each other because yeah. do you yeah. know what you're actually signing up for? It's yeah. not, it's not this cushy life that we have made it and it is meaningful and it doesn't minimize obstacles. In fact, Jesus says anyone who is, uh, the servant is not greater than the master. And he says that in in the next line, he's, and I'm going to die. So when they do to you, when you have hard times, don't be like, why God? Because this is what you're signing up for. Um, it's a certain kind of, and I think we've lowered the bar so much in Christian faith in the West that it involves believing certain ideas, Making yeah. sure your rear end is in a pew on a Sunday morning. Oh, here's one other thing I was going to say about your thing, about the in him we live and move and have our being. I I definitely don't think church is the only place you go to meet God. I think when it's doing what it's intended to do, it's where you learn how to meet God everywhere. And so here's a great example. Mm-hmm. Like, I love being outdoors. I love the sun on my face. I love, like, seasons and playing with my dogs and my kids not in that order but just being outdoor (laughs) and one of the one of the things i've done from time to time is just kind of sing privately to myself this is my father's world maybe i have my guitar with me or something but i'm just outdoors with the sun of my face singing that song and i think that's a great example because the church taught me that song but it is best sung outside. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and, and here's here's where I'd like to go with this is like I you know I, I think I think one thing we've done is like I, you know listening to that to that story of yours about being outside and singing a Christian hymn and, and that filling you with uh, with 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 probably a, a, a strong emotion like a like a beauty a transcendence. And, and, and it feels transcendence. Yeah. yeah, and and I, and I I'm going to say as an agnostic, I would be a bastard to say, well, that's just you know that's just bullshit, man. Sorry, like that's not true, you know. So you know you're just you're living a lie, you know. You're just you're you're <laughs> confused, and because yeah. I think I think that experience because you had it, it's true for you, and 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 I I know what people are thinking, but 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 I I strongly believe that 
you know, there's, there's, you know, billions of kind of different people who, who could be outside singing their own version of this is my father's world. And for it to really all mean the same thing, we're just using mm. different phrasing. We're using different personalities, different life experience, different understandings, but the feeling is the same. That transcendence yeah. is the same. And so to me, the church of tomorrow uh, what, and by church, I mean capital C or whatever we want to call it, the yeah, church yeah. of tomorrow, has to make room for the fact that we all want transcendence in relationships and in ourself, and it's all the same at the end of the day. And this is this is the story that that we teach here about about um, how we believe you can get to that transcendence, but there's another church down the road and there's another person, there's another mosque down the road. And there's another person who doesn't, who's, who's actually, you know, hiking right now, who's, who's actually looking for that same thing. And it's all valid. And, and you don't have, this is a thing. I don't believe you have to identify with the right story in order to have a truly transcendent experience. Can I, that's, that's where I'm at. Can I do um, Charles Taylor with you a little bit again? He says, yeah. so Charles Taylor says that um, the, the challenge in the modern world is that people who are believers and they will have this, they'll be, you know, kind of downdrafts of the buffered self where we'll have feelings like we're praying, but we're praying to a ceiling. And then, um, the challenge for non-believers or secular people, and he doesn't say that as a bad label, but that they'll be haunted by transcendence. And so, mm -hmm. um, and then he says this interesting thing that I've never quite understood until you just said what you said. But he said the challenge for secular people haunted by transcendence is to not cheapen the transcendent as they are appreciating it. And what I, here's here's why I went there with this is like I think you could say go to a mosque and or or go to a church and find your transcendence there. The problem is neither mosque or church would say yeah either one because they they're describing what they believe is ultimate reality and they clash yeah. they overlap a lot but they clash and so. You know, on some level, it, I think that's what Charles Taylor is talking about. Like, you know, it's it's not, you know, fortune cookie. And I, I realize, you know, Christians have fought wars and done all kinds of horrible things. And Muslims have, have also had some violence in their past. And so I'm not trying to, like, defend or get into some kind of trophy or uh, some kind of... Um, sectarian argument but what that's what i mean like how do you because once you start inching in towards that transcendence it's going to ask more and more and more of you does that make sense yeah i i think i think we we have to we have to connect to a story yeah right i, I think that's the way we're wired as 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 our species is a, is a, is a we connect to stories and you know you know, Nuval talks a lot about this in Sapiens, right? He says, what is money? Money is a story. Huh. We agree upon it. We agree that this is what something's worth. Okay. 
That's what it's worth. And then we all agree on, you know, that's what the stock market is. It's what we believe that company is worth at this moment. Yeah. Does that mean that's what the company's worth at this moment? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. In fact, just, you know, if, if you know anything about stocks, look at your portfolio right now. There's great companies that are worth a lot less than they should be just because people are like, eh, I'm scared right now. What's going on in the world? You know? And, yeah. and so, um, I think that's an important thing to remember is, is like stories are powerful and they actually, um, they're actually how we get through life. Yeah. They're actually how we kind of navigate through the forest of our life. And, and so I just think as long as you're clear about your story and, and if that's something that brings you that transcendence and, and helps you and, and, and provides and, and, you know, isn't stamping on anyone else's toes, then, you know, go ahead, have fun. Hmm. But if your story is a bad story, I'm just, I'm not just saying, Hey, all stories yeah, are equally right. valid. You know, I'm not saying that at all. Sure, if your yeah. story is a bad story, like like I would say Putin's story is a bad story. You know, <laughs> yeah. whether we know it or not, Putin right now is, is, is living his life according to a story that we can only guess at. Yeah, right. But we would look at that and say, you know, billions of people would say that's a bad story. I don't know a lot about it, but I see the fruit and it's bad. But there's a lot of people that we look at their story, we see the fruit. It's really good fruit. Like yeah. it's nice and it's juicy. It's it's flavorful. But we say, oh, but it wasn't grown on my tree. So it's obviously rotten. Hmm. You know, and, and I just think, how can we do that? You know, like just just like you don't want me to look at your life and say, Jonathan, you know, you're still a Christian. So obviously, you know, you're deranged or you're, <laughs> you know, you haven't, you know, you're not thinking everything through or, yeah. so, you know, whatever. I say, I'm thrilled, man. You you experience transcendence through your story of the Christian faith. That's great. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. And I think if the church wants to be relevant in this next 100 years or, heck, next five years, yeah. they have to make room for people to be part of their community, but maybe even identifying with a different story while in that community. I like it. And some people, might they might not stay. They might just say, hey, you know, your story's pretty loud and, yeah, <laughs> and right. I don't know if there's much much room for mine. But but if the church could be a place where, hey, we get it. We know what, what it's like to be human. We know that we all got a story. We want to tell you about ours because we think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was like, man, he did some, some cool things. Um, but we want to hear about yours too. And not in a sense of, yeah, yeah, tell us about your story. Sure, have your moment. And then, you know, you know, get in line and, and, and listen to ours. But truly allow people to live out that story in a safe, nurturing, you know, real community that's not, you know, you know looking down on people and saying, yeah. okay, okay, but, you know, you know, there's got to come a moment where you cross over to ours. Right. Um, then I think the church will re- will continue to be relevant. Um, I could see myself, you know, donning donning the doors of 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 a institution again if if there was room to kind of talk about. Wow. You know, sort of. So, first off, let me say you're still a youth minister at heart. Your whole Je- <laughs> Jesus. We think Jesus was cool and he did some cool stuff. I'm like, oh, there it is. Um, yeah. So bad habits. <laughs> it, since you talked about, you know, you you might don the doors of an institution again. Is there anything you miss in the last fifteen years since you kind of walked away from it? You know, I, I just I really miss the community. I, I I would say that there's few places in the world that do community better. Like, uh, let me let me say this. There's few places in the world that can do community better when when a church is doing community really good. That's right. 
Because there's a lot of churches that do community terribly. Yeah, right? that's like true. it's 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 all based on what you know what you believe and and following the things. And I'm just biding my time till I die, you know. But there's lots of churches who are like in, in, you know, you know, really focused on on you know being there for people, making space for doubt, making space for mental health, making space for for being for differences, and 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 I would say I I do miss that um, energy of community. You know, I love there, it. There's a certain energy that comes when you can get together. Like, you know, I, I was part of small groups, you know, small groups, everyone in church land knows what that are. It's life groups, small groups, whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah. I used to love those, you know, people getting together over a meal and just, and just doing life together. I, I do miss that. Um, yeah. It just came to the point where I just couldn't in good conscious, could good conscience do that with people um, who, who, you know, there was conditions to it, right? Like, like you yeah. can continue to come, but you have to, at the end of the day, sign on the dotted line that yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know, and and because I couldn't do that anymore, I was forced to vacate the community, and you know, it it is what it is. But but that's that's ultimately why why I had to leave. I mean, I, I probably could have just kept going and being friends with people, but if they knew my heart and they knew I I didn't believe anymore. Um, I don't think they would have been okay with that. Man, so. I I hope everyone listening hears that because, you know, the the ironic thing is, like, Jesus was okay with that. Like, Thomas says, nope, didn't raise from the dead, doesn't, be- you know, doesn't believe it at all. And then the next few verses are like a week, couple weeks later or days later, Jesus appears and Thomas was with them. So, like, basically he's saying to these other guys, these ten other guys and the the women who first saw Jesus, no, I don't believe you. He's saying you're liars. And then, you know, some time passes, Jesus appears, and Thomas is still there. Like, when, because doubt is such a human thing, especially in a secular age, um, I think the church's witness will rise and fall with being able to say, stick with us. Like, this is in our story too. So how how did how was it with your family when you kind of started transitioning? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, and and I, I'm glad you asked that because I want to. I, I I can't help but think that some of the listeners must be thinking like, this guy sounds like he's married. Um, you know, like <laughs> what was his wife? What what was his wife? <laughs> like, what was his wife thinking this whole time? Like, like, are they even still married? I mean, do they you know think the they're are? married because you sound like such a catch? Is that what? Is that yeah, what was, yeah, that's what I was thinking. They're probably wondering: Is this guy? They're like, probably on Facebook right now. Is, is he available? He single? <laughs> yeah, is he? Because he's yeah, it sounds on. Um, sorry, folks, I'm still married. In fact, we're, you know, celebrating 25 years this summer, which is Congrats. which is pretty damn good in the, in this day and age, right? Yeah. 25 years. I know what you're thinking, Jonathan. How, how is that possible, man? You're 38. <laughs> <laughs> well, child brides. Yeah. It's true, man. Just people get Why burn young? with passion? As Paul said, don't burn with passion. <laughs> just get it done. Um, anyways, so so um, Angie was, was actually going through her own doubts before mine. Hmm. And, and I kind of didn't really know because um, I wasn't approachable. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was uh, back then. 
I, I, I wasn't approachable. I was like a lot of people when I started going through it. I, I was scared. And so I just didn't want to hear it. I pushed her away. And so she ended up going through a really lonely, mm. uh, oppressive, heavy journey on her own. Um, and, and then lo and behold, when I finally started to go through it, um, you know, she was there for me and she really understood. And it, in fact, it, it was really her who supported me enough to make the very terrifying decision to announce the church that I was going to be leaving. Um, she was the one that made that okay. And, and I, I think back to like, if she hadn't been able to, to support me in that, I don't, I, I don't know, like either my soul would have broken in half or our marriage would have broken in half. Mm. Um, but because she happened to have gone through it, she understood, she was empathetic and, and she said, you have to leave. And I, I said, what will I do? Like I was thinking as a, as a, as a, you know, provider at the time, you know, I was thinking of a, like, we have, we have young kids, like, like, you know, I have to pay the bills and she just like for her to say, it's okay, you know, we'll figure it out. I think that's what really allowed me to leave. And so that's how that, that's how we dealt with all that. And it was in fact her idea to go traveling. Like uh-huh. that's, that's when she, she said one night, she's like, you're, I could just see the stress on you, man. Like you're just, it's like, why, why not just, why don't we just go, go away for three months? Let's just go away. Take the kids. We've always wanted to travel with them. Let's just take the kids. We'll just go away and, and we'll just live our lives and just see, see what happens. And, and, Honestly, man, it was the best. It's the best trip we ever went on. For anyone who's, you know, for all our the travel uh, travel interested people here, um, this was 2008, which was which was <laughs> terrible timing on our behalf because it was the recession, <laughs> which, which oh we yeah. Didn't know. Um, but you know, we were living in Calgary, and the housing market was like booming at that time. So sure. we sold our house and like doubled our investment. So we, we were irresponsibly wonderful <laughs> by 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 taking like a bit of that money. Yeah, and we ended up going for three months, man. We we traveled. We went through you know England, Italy, France, man. We stayed in like a little a little uh, cabin in France in the middle of nowhere for like three weeks. Rented a car, swam in the pool in October. Like it was. <laughs> And and we were we were homeschooling at the time. We homeschooled our kids for the first few years, um, just because we really wanted to like get them on a good track of yeah. education. And and it was so cool because then we just like did we just schooled them while we traveled. Yeah, hey, you want to learn about ancient Rome today? Well, here we are at the Colosseum. I love it. You no, know, it was it was amazing, man. It was, it was and and I didn't even really think at all about you know. What's future John going to look like? What, you know, what, what, what am I going to do for a job when I get back? Part of that was because I thought we were going to be gone a year and then the markets crashed. Market, so we yeah. came back three, three months later. But, uh, it's, yeah, I, I think, you, I think you had support to that. What about your parents and, you know, that bubble that you yeah. lived in? Yeah. And, and so I, I think, I think, you know, I wasn't, I think I shared like 75% of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> with them through this journey my brother as well who's a, who's an excellent preacher um in virginia um you know he he was very very helpful and understanding he made space for my i'd say my brother was uh-huh. was phenomenal i know he's going to listen to this alan i love you so much man he made he made so much space for me i i felt like i i had i had room to breathe and and uh and I know he disagreed with a lot of things, but but he made space and and he was even he even allowed assimilated some of my doubts into his own in his own thinking on things, and he huh. would still challenged me. But but 
that was amazing because he's a preacher and, and he could have just been like, you know, you're going to be lost forever, man. You know, like mm. that kind of thing. But he didn't. Um, my parents, I would say my mom was also pretty good, um, especially over time um, of leaving space in terms of like allowing. And I keep saying leaving space because because you know what, <laughs> folks, when you're losing your identity, like like you feel like you have no space. You, right. you feel like you can't breathe. So the whole idea of space is like you could breathe, right? If somebody can make that for you, you're never going to forget them. Right. Like that is a good person. That's a great person. If a church can do that for you, you're probably not going to leave it. Mm. And, and so, um, and so like my, my mom did a good job. My dad too, I, I, you know, he passed away five years ago and I just think, you know, there can be a dynamic between fathers and sons too, that, that can complicate things. But um, you know, my dad was a very, very intelligent man. He was a, he was a PhD in chemistry, but he also, you know, was a was a black and white fundamentalist man of faith at the yeah. same time. And I'm still trying to figure out how he could how he could live in those two worlds. But so he had a real tough job with the fact that I left the black and white world. Yeah. Um. So so he would text me just out of the blue, with just asking me questions like, "Are you saying you no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he you know died?" With- <laughs> So he, he didn't he needed to learn the power of an icebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's you know, like, like. <laughs> such a funny way to say it. <laughs> if you could have lunch with anyone in the world in history, who would it be? Also, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, the, the good thing, and, and I want to share this story about my dad, because it, it, to me, it sort of connects together a lot of what we were talking about um, up until this point. Um, so so I, I said uh, my dad passed away five years ago, so he had been dealing with heart issues for a long time. And I got a call on a Wednesday, I'll never forget. I was I was on a property with a client, and I got a call from my mom, and she said that dad had been put in the hospital again. And this wasn't a new thing. He had been put in the hospital quite often in the last few years. And so I kind of said, oh, you know, really sorry to hear that, mom. Um, is he going to be okay? And and thinking she was going to be like, yeah, you know, he should be okay. But I could just tell, like, this, this wasn't, you know, this was different. And so, I, you know, mom was always protective a little bit and, and, and didn't you know, want to say like, your father's dying, you need to get down here. And so I called my brother Mm. who said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, this is time. If you can get on a plane, you probably should, if you want to see him or talk to him before he passes. And so this was a Wednesday. I was very like upset. Of course, I just left work, ran, like drove home, booked a flight, left the next morning. It's a very long trip, West coast, all the way down to South Carolina. I mean, it's a whole day thing. I get, I get down there at like 7 PM, just, you know, hadn't slept just out of it. And there's my dad in the hospital and, and he was, he was unconscious at that time. And so I never did get to talk to him again, but, uh, he was still alive and, and we kind of gathered around as a family and, um, you know, we're, we're sitting there and, and I know, I know there's different, um, schools of thought that that say that, that people in that condition can still hear you and understand. And so I, I tried to like say some final words and it was, it was quite emotional. And, and all of a sudden I sort of noticed the room started to fill up with people. You know, I'm like, you know, it just was kind of like one after another, after another, pretty, pretty soon I was, I was surrounded really <laughs> by about 15 or 20 people. And, and, and they were all about, you know, I would say 20 to 30 years old. It, it was like young adults. This was a Thursday night and I knew there was probably something better they could be doing with their time. Um, but they started gathering around and, and I was, I was very touched that they came out on a Thursday night to say, say goodbye to my dad. 
And all of a sudden, one pulls out a pitch pipe and they just start singing um, songs of faith. And here I was, um, you know, even thinking back, here I was, a man of no faith, surrounded by songs of faith, not for me, but for my father, and feeling in that moment um, this transcendence that we talked about, this transcendence in community that, that we're talking about. And nobody at that moment was deconstructing the words of the songs. Mm. We didn't talk after, we didn't talk before about, hey, what do you believe on this or that? Like all of a sudden in that moment, none of that bullshit mattered anything. All that mattered is we were, we were connected um, in a moment that transcended, you know, our understanding and transcended even practicalities. And um, they, yeah. they, they sang for maybe, 20 minutes, I took a little video and, and uh, I still have that video and, and I could tell my dad heard everything and they were, they were singing his mm. songs. And I remember after they left, finally, thinking back on that and thinking like, I, I think maybe that's actually what, what church is. <laughs> like, I, yeah. think, I think that, that moment, like creating that moment um, is maybe what, what Jesus had in mind um, or maybe what any church has in mind, any religious movement has in mind is, is being there for people in those, in those crucial moments. And yeah. I think if more people could experience those moments, then, then perhaps we wouldn't get so caught up in the weeds of yeah. dogma and the weeds of the formula and getting it just right and black and white and looking this way. And um, I think in the end, if, if we could just, you know, feel loved and experience yeah. love, um, you know, it, it might be okay. And so that's so powerful, man. That is such a powerful story. Um, thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. John, I am really grateful for your friendship and your relationship. And I am grateful for you taking the time to do this. Um, if, if you ever move to Arkansas, I'd love, I'd love for you to darken the doors of our institution, or or just come over to my house and ride the zip line from time to time, or we can just zoom again. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So that's a no to Arkansas, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, well, dude, I really appreciate you a lot. I'm grateful for um, your kind of. Our, our paths converging throughout the years and for you being willing to talk about some really close stuff to both of our hearts. So thank you, man. And I pre appreciate you asking, you know, like, you know, you're a genuine guy and, and, and I, th I think holding space for these conversations is probably the beginning of, of what we were talking about. Yeah, I hope it so. It is truly creating space for for real conversations and allowing people allowing people to just go on their journey without in the end having to come back to the seeing it exactly the way everybody else sees it. Yeah. Or be able to sign on the dotted line, this is what I believe. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think we need to grow beyond that. Well, I think the church needs to grow beyond that if they want to remain relevant and and um, hopefully some of what we talked about today will, will inspire more conversations. Thanks for listening to Bonafide. If you like what you've heard, please share with your friends and review on whatever platform you get your podcasts.